Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Christian author and apologist J.P. Moreland, who provides insight into an ideology called Scientism, which is devoted to extolling only science as having the solutions to life's dilemmas. Then you'll be hearing from author and blogger Rachel Marie Martin, who relates perspective from her own journey as a mother, emphasizing the component of bravery. And author Wendy Pope of Proverbs 31 Ministries, exploring the capability of a believer in Christ to experience more of the Lord in his or her life. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, comments from the co-founder and leader of the pro-life prayer effort known as 40 Days for Life, Sean Carney, providing a hope-filled report on how God is working to bring decline in the abortion industry. Plus, it's Chris Wark, who at the age of 26 was diagnosed with colon cancer. He's now cancer-free. He chose to take a unique approach in dealing with the disease, emphasizing dietary changes. In fact, he shares about how diet, lifestyle, and environment can be instrumental in preventing or even treating cancer. Finally, it's author and church consultant Tim Stevens, who provides a challenging look at how Christians can exercise Christ's love, even in practical interactions. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. J.P. Moreland is a distinguished professor of philosophy at Biola University and a noted Christian author and apologist. Recently, he talked with me about his book, Scientism and Secularism, Learning to Respond to a Dangerous Ideology, offering insight about this ideology, about which Christians need to be aware. From that conversation, this is J.P. Moreland. Well, this fall, I, be, I celebrate my 50th year as a Christian, and I've been in vocational ministry for 48 years. And I have to tell you, Bob, I have never seen it, the chaos in culture that we've witnessed in the last 10 years, and we are losing our, our young people uh, to atheism and to abandoning Christianity in record numbers. Barna did a study recently and found out that of the six reasons that people are leaving the church and leaving Christianity, and these are from very good churches and youth groups, all six of them had to do with doubts, uh, problems with believing, and the, uh, one of the top ones was the inability to understand how to relate Christianity to science, believe it or not. Hmm. It wasn't relationships, it wasn't the lack of worship or anything like that. And what I discovered is we're teaching our kids and our people in church what to believe, but not why. And so when they go to college, even Christian colleges, or we release them into this crazy culture, they don't know how to defend themselves, and they're mocked at work, and they end up giving up their faith. And so I wrote this book out of a passion to help parents, to help Christian school teachers, youth directors, thoughtful laymen, and people in parachurch ministries, to, to know how to understand, recognize, and respond to the most dangerous ideology in our culture today, and the name of it is scientism. Now, that's a $1.98 word, <laughs> and the book title, Scientism and Secularism, can be kind of intimidating, but scientism basically means that, that the hard sciences are the only way we have of knowing what's real. If you can test it, and prove it in physics or chemistry or in the lab somehow, then you can know it. 
But if you can't, it's nothing but personal emotion and hot air. And so what this says is that Christians are now being marginalized because they don't know anything. They have a, a bunch of little personal faith beliefs that they simply arbitrarily chose or inherited from their parents, but there's no way you can actually know that God exists or know that the Bible is true and all that sort of thing. Why? Because you can't test it and prove it in physics and chemistry. And so this is why I wrote the book, and that's essentially what scientism is. One more statement. If you've ever shared your faith, Bob, and had somebody say to me, well, you can't prove that scientifically, that is scientism. If you can't prove it, quote, scientifically, then you can't know it, and you've got no right to be telling me this gospel. And I want you to comment as we close on the compatibility between Christianity and science. Oh, science is a gift from God, Bob. <laughs> I'm so grateful for it. Uh, just think of the medicine and air conditioning and all the rest of it. Uh, genuine science is a friend, and, but, but, but when people push it too far into scientism or make ex extravagant claims for theories like the theory of evolution that are far from proven, uh, then, but then they, they cross the line. And so I think uh, what Christians need to do is to realize science is wonderful, but scientism is not. J.P. Moreland here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, jpmoreland.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's author and blogger Rachel Marie Martin, who provided encouragement for mothers based on her own experience as she relates in her book, The Brave Art of Motherhood, Fight Fear, Gain Confidence, and Find Yourself Again. From that recent conversation, this is Rachel Marie Martin. For my life, and as a writer, so I write a site called FindingJoy.net, and I write to moms. And in the beginning, I just kind of wrote just the normal motherhood stuff. And I realized after a while that so many of us were going through life feeling alone and that there needed to be somebody to kind of talk about the spaces in life where we maybe feel alone, but we're not alone. So I started to write about change and being brave and how motherhood is this place of where it's intense, but it's also this place of bravery. And what I found was lots of us, myself included, kind of got to this place when the kids were a little bit older, where we would look in the mirror and we would kind of wonder, okay, well, I'm a good mom, but who am I? And who's, what is my, where's my passion? Or we'd find ourselves stuck in cycles. And uh, I realized that part of my calling was to give that courage, that bravery, that voice about that you can break free from cycles that you found yourself stuck in. But you also can cultivate the gift of the gifts in your life while in the midst of being a mother. Because so many of us kind of would think, well, when the kids are grown, then I'll do this. And we looked at time as almost this, uh, this commodity that never ended. And in fact, there's, you know, there's this precious gift of time in the everyday. So it's seizing the moment of the everyday and embracing motherhood where we are. Well, and you may have people listening today that are in that place of really being stuck. They, they feel like that they're not moving forward. What have you found to be effective as far as actually a mom moving out of that state? Well, I would say, first of all, it's being real. It's being not only honest with others, but with your own self. 
it's very kind of easy to deny that you're stuck or deny that you're you're not moving forward and to put off to tomorrow what you should be doing today. So that would be my first suggestion is to really be critical and make an honest assessment of your own places, of the your own paradigms that you've accepted to be just the way it is. And the more honest we are with ourselves, it's kind of the renewing of our mind, the more we can actually start to unearth the places that we, we need to take accountability to and change. Well, and when we look at making changes, I understand in the book that you highlight the balance between the brain and the heart. Elaborate on that, if you would. Well, I gave an example of my son, Elijah, and Elijah is a fearless man, and I believe that the names we give our children, we should pay attention to them, because whenever I tell him, Elijah, you need to slow down, I remember the Elijah in the, in the Bible who prayed down fire. So Eli is an unbelievably fiery individual, but he, when he started to learn to swim, we moved from Minneapolis to Nashville, and he was a little bit afraid of the water because in Minnesota, it's snowy. We don't have as many opportunities to swim. And we started to learn, and this fearless child of mine was afraid of jumping in. And it was this interesting place where I actually got to see that his fearless part of him wanted to jump into the water and wanted that freedom. But he would just kept saying, but I want to jump, but my legs, my brain keeps kind of stopping him. It was the rational, the the fear kept holding him back. And at one point, he had to balance the dichotomy between both of them and realize that the heart, that part of ourself, really needed to just let go and jump. And once he did, it was like the entire world opened up. And I think for most of us, when there's a space of change, the hardest part after admitting we need to change, is taking that first jump. Rachel Marie Martin here on The Intersection. Her website address is findingjoy.net. Next here on this edition of The Intersection, it's Wendy Pope, a speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries and contributor to the Proverbs 31 online devotional encouragement for today. She related principles of spiritual growth as she explores in the book, Yes, No, and Maybe, Living with the God of Immeasurably More. Here now is Wendy Pope. I want the readers that read the book to know and experience and almost to have a a jealousy for what it's like to live with the God of immeasurably more, to know God in a brand new way. The concepts of yes, no, and maybe uh, lend itself to think, oh, well, this is about balancing your life or this is about learning how to say no to certain opportunities and when to say yes, but it's a a much deeper book. Yes actually cultivates a trust relationship with Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. When we learn to say yes to him, we learn to trust him, but he also learns to trust us, Bob, and learns to, um, we learn to have, um, it's almost like a secret friendship with God. He asks us to do something, we do it, we learn to embrace the yes and to make God our uh, magnificent obsession is what Stephen Curtis Chapman, oh, yeah. uh, how Stephen Curtis Chapman refers to him in his song. Um, but when we learn that that yes, and we are confident in our yeses to God and His assignments to us, 
he then reveals what I like to um, express in the book and how I express in the book, the no to self. Hmm. And no invites revelation to the believer. And it's not the revelation of the book, uh, of the Bible. It's revelation into the insights of who we really are apart from Christ. It's the the down and the dirty with, with us. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's self-sufficiency. Maybe it's shame that we've carried around. It reveals to us what is keeping us from being and living in the image that God created us to be from the very beginning. And so it's where the rubber meets the road. It's where we've learned to say yes to God, and we we embrace our relationship with God, and then now he's going deeper with the Holy Spirit's work and the work of the Word and just carving out, polishing, and uh, giving us polishing parts of the Holy Spirit's work to shape us and chisel us into that image that that he created us to be. And then it beautifully, it beautifully blends right over into the, what I call the next discipline, and that is where maybe welcomes freedom. And it's the freedom that Jesus died to give us. Uh, we, I believe we, as Christians, um, leave the accomplished work of Calvary at the foot of the cross, and we stop at the fact, oh, well, he gave me eter- eternal life. And yes, we're grateful for that. But if we leave it there, we have lessened Calvary's work because Jesus died to give us a life that's abundant and a life that is full and a life that is free. And so that's what I teach through in the last part of the book. The book is divided into three sections, Ah. a yes to God, a no to self, and a maybe to others. And my desire is for for the believer to be more than a, I call, I called myself a pew warmer at church to really take root, let the Word of God take root in their life and live to the abundance that they were destined to live and their heritage is to live, our heritage is to live. I want you to elaborate or dig a little bit deeper for us, if you would, with respect to this this concept of maybe and how that freedom of in Christ actually enables us in the way that we relate to one another. Well, for me... It, 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 it allowed me to confidently say no to things that were just kind of on the base side of the right side, you know, and this kind of walk in the line of, yeah, this is just not quite the conversation that I need to be involved in, or this is, this is not the place that I need to have dinner, or this is not the crowd that God would have me with. And, you know, I I would look at opportunities before I started living this and experiencing this freedom and say, well, I can be a light in that dark place. Yes, I can, and there are opportunities that God provides for us, but there are also times when we as believers waver in our um, resolve and just kind of act like the world a little bit too much. And for me, this, this discipline has taught me that it's okay for me to say to say no to things that the world says yes to. And that I can be confident that, you know, if I miss out on an opportunity, God's got something better more than I can ask or imagine. Wendy Pope here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website wendypope.org. 
This is the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Also through the Intersection page, also through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link through which you can access video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Sean Carney is co-founder, president, and CEO of the pro-life initiative 40 Days for Life. Recently, he shared with me about the effort involving peaceful prayer at local abortion facilities and discussed his book, The Beginning of the End of Abortion, 40 Inspiring Stories of God Changing Hearts and Saving Lives. This is Sean Carney now. It's a descriptive title. We really are seeing the beginning of the end of abortion. Uh, Since 1991, over half of all the abortion facilities in America have closed. Uh, We've seen a record just in the last five years, a record, you know, at least 70 abortion facilities have closed every year. The last five years, pregnancy resource centers outnumber abortion providers three to one now. So those are all great and exciting stats where it's like, oh, there's some data there. But ultimately what's happening is despite 45 years of legalized abortion, we have not accepted this. And Mm. some countries have, in in Europe particularly, but the United States is the leader of the world in opposing abortion, make no mistake. And the world asks us how to do it, particularly in places like Latin America and, and Africa. And, you know, what we're seeing is that our movement is not made up of, of, of a bunch of self-righteous Christians who are judging everyone. Quite the opposite. We're, we're made up ourselves, uh, professed sinners, but also of those who have experience with abortion, those women who have had an abortion, the men who have paid for an abortion, uh, the workers who have counseled for and sold abortion, and the doctors themselves who have done abortion. Those are the most powerful voices in the pro-life movement. And and that makes us a movement of converts, and, and a movement of converts has to be a movement of hope. And that's why we're seeing so many, and I get into this in the book, the trends of the abortion industry. And they themselves will tell you it's the beginning of the end wow. for them if you listen to them. And so it's a joy-filled book. It's 40 true stories, and it's all every chapter is accompanied with a scripture and a reflection, and it points to what we're seeing in our country. Intellectually, this is the easiest position in the world to hold, right? Uh, it, 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 it supports all the science, all the data, all the experience, all the reason, and, of course, all the faith in the world that, you know, we, we are defending this unborn child. You have to be a science denier to honestly try to justify abortion in any way. And so what we're seeing is that that's so unnatural that we don't accept it. And, you know, I have a beautiful story about an abortion doctor on his deathbed who has a conversion. And literally, the nurse who is working uh, the ICU where he is about to die 
she recognizes him because she used to go out and pray at the 40 Days for Life vigil, and he closed his abortion facility, and no one knew why. And on his deathbed, he confessed that he had closed it because he realized the great evil he was doing, and he was terrified to face judgment. Um, you know, as he lay there in ICU, and she sat with with them, and she prayed with them as he passed away. And you know, these are the stories that you know. This is a guy that did tens of thousands of abortions, and yet couldn't ultimately justify it and 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 you know was was praying for god's mercy as as he as he awaited his judgment and i think that you know the work we've helped 178 abortion facility workers have a change of heart and leave their job Mm. and that is that is something that the abortion industry has no answer for because these workers they, they've read all the manuals. Many of them are directors of Planned Parenthood, and, and they know the talking points, and they, they believed it, and they sold it. But they could never ultimately accept it and, and live a life of, of any kind of peace. And so, you know, I think we have science. We have faith. We have reason. We also have experience now after 45 years, and that's why the conversion gate only swings in one direction. There are not people that have, you know, five kids and are leading Bible studies or pregnancy centers that suddenly wake up and realize they should have been, you know, managing a, an, an abortion facility their whole life. Uh, it's it's only swinging in one direction, and that's a great sign. Sean Carney here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website 40daysforlife.com. Well, next up, it's Chris Wark. He was diagnosed with stage 3C colon cancer back in 2003. He shared with me a portion of his story about his bout with the disease from which he is now free and related material about the effect of diet, lifestyle, and environment on cancer. He's written the book, Chris Beat Cancer, a comprehensive plan for healing naturally. From that conversation, this is Chris Wark now. Two days before Christmas, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. I was 26 years old, which was super weird you know, for a 26-year-old to get cancer, A, and to get colon cancer, which usually is what old people get, you know, and they don't even start screening until you're in your 50s and 60s for it. Yeah. Um, But I've been having abdominal pain, and, you know, they did a bunch of tests, couldn't figure it out, and then they did a colonoscopy, and they saw this golf ball-sized tumor in my large intestine in the colon. And um, so they they said, well, they did a biopsy, and they said, uh, you know, you've got cancer, man, you've got colon cancer. So the next step was the doctor said, look, you, we got to get you into surgery right away and get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever you say. Um, and so I, uh, this was two days before Christmas too. So it was like, oh man. And they wanted to get me in surgery like the next day. I mean, they were really, the cancer industry, unfortunately for many patients when they're diagnosed, they're rushed into treatment that they don't understand. And there's this sense of urgency um, that's, and fear that surrounds the diagnosis that um, unfortunately uh, can work, can be a disadvantage to many patients because, again, they say yes to things they don't understand and to therapies and treatments and procedures that can be potentially life-threatening. But I was able to, to postpone my surgery for about a week. I went in on December 30th. They took out a third of my colon, which was where the tumor was, and then they saw during surgery it had spread to lymph nodes, so they took those out. 
And when I woke up, they said, uh, listen, it's worse than we thought. You're stage 3C, which means you're going to need 9 to 12 months of chemotherapy. And I was just like, oh, man, like this is just going from bad to worse. Uh, they, they had told me on the front end they thought all I would need was surgery. Now, yep. I'm officially a cancer patient, right? Like you're, I'm going to be a chemo patient, too. And I initially accepted, uh, and also let me just say this, immediately after the diagnosis, right? I mean, it was a shock. It was devastating. My whole life changed, as anyone who's dealt with cancer or knows someone that has had cancer can understand. But I thought, you know, uh, I was reminded of a verse in the Bible, and that's Romans eight twenty eight: God works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so in, in my fear, right, in that moment of just fear and uncertainty and doubt, I just said, God, I'm, I'm just choosing to believe. Like, I'm going to stand on the word. I'm going to believe that you're going to work this for my good. I don't like it, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But this is it. This is the time. This is a faith test for me right now. I've never had anything like this in my life. But I'm, I'm just going to believe you're going to work this for my good. I don't know how. And so, you know, and then uh, a few days later, we went to a small non-denominational church at that time, and uh, I, everybody knew me, and uh, there's, you know, maybe 100 families or whatever. And I stood up on a Sunday morning, and I said, um, you know, hey, everybody, because <laughs> I, I was playing on the worship team at church. I mean, like, I was really plugged in. Everybody knew me. And I said, hey, everybody, uh, I just found out I have colon cancer and, um, you know, I really appreciate your prayers and, and I'm just choosing to believe that God's going to work this for my good. And also Psalm 34, which says the righteous may suffer many afflictions, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And I said, that's my verse. I'm standing on that. And, uh, folks in the church leaders and other folks, um, laid hands on me and prayed for me just a really, you know, really powerful, um, Sunday morning. Now, whether a person does treatment or not is their choice. I don't tell people not to do treatment. It's everybody's individual choice. But what's so important to understand, and this is part of my mission and what I talk about in my, in my book, Chris Beat Cancer, which is, just came out this week, is that uh, as much as 95% of cancers are caused by three factors, diet, lifestyle, and our environment. That only 5% of cancers are genetic. And what that means is, is our choices matter. Mm, like the yeah. way you choose to live your life, it matters. What you put in your mouth matters. The way you think matters. Your relationship with God, your spiritual health matters. Your emotional health matters. So, uh, so to me, this was good news, right? It was, it was empowering that, wait a minute, the way I'm living is killing me, but I can change the way I'm living and, in, and help my body heal. Chris Wark here on The Intersection. The website address is chrisbeatcancer.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Tim Stevens, the Vice President of Consulting at Vanderbloom and Search Group. He discussed principles from the life of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture as he relates in the book, Marked by Love, A Dare to Walk Away from Judgment and Hypocrisy. Here now is Tim Stevens. Over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, written six other books, mostly focused on church leaders and um, church growth and really helping, you know, lead volunteers and lead people and 
Um, and this one came less out of, out of a sense of uh, church leadership and more just a passion in my own life, in my own heart, a little bit of my own spiritual journey of um, moving away from a place of judgmental, I have all the answers, I'm right kind of place and uh, learning what it means to be marked by love. Wow. And and you talk about that place. What is it that God did in your heart to to maybe show you that there was a, another another life, if you will, or a, another philosophy that uh, that he wanted to show you rather than one marked by, say, judgmentalism? You know, uh, to be frank, it probably started from looking outward of being frustrated with, especially, you know, during election season or even even seasons like we're facing right now with the uh, Kavanaugh um, uh, hearings, hearings that are going on right now. Yeah. Um, and then you see all of this uh, stuff on Facebook and in social media where people are just blasting and, and Christians are blasting the other side uh, that doesn't agree with them and really kind of treating people poorly. It started from there of like, okay, there's got to be a better way. Things are kind of devolving to this, just not treating people with human dignity. And then it, it, it turned from that to like, oh, wait a second. I guess I haven't arrived either. You know, and, and then just kind of looking at my own sometimes reactions or reflecting on my thoughts, my judgmental thoughts about people or groups. Uh, and, and then realize I got, I got so much to learn in this area of love as well. And it is so easy being a connoisseur, especially the work that I do. I spend a lot of time on social media, do quite a bit of research and, you know, try to at least to some degree keep a finger on the pulse of what's taking place in culture and how the church can be operational there. And you do see a lot of rancor that's out there, people that disagree and disagree to to very heightened degrees, if you can say it like that. So why is it so easy to get lured into that? Boy, I don't know. Human condition, I guess. Uh, sin nature. Um, there's just always a sense. I don't know. It's, it seems to be our go-to that we, when we disagree with a position, a belief system, um, a, a political stance, we tend to go after the person. Um, I, I don't know if it's an attempt to make ourselves look better or to give ourselves more credence. Um, but I would guess if, you know, if we could in some way pull your listeners and ask them, have you ever seen anyone win a, a political or religious argument on Facebook? You know, the answer would be a, like a resounding no. It just never gets anywhere. It just always devolves into you know, we kind of we set up our entrenched camps and people that think like us join our camp and people that don't are in the other camp. And we kind of lob grenades back and forth and cheer each other on when, when one tends to explode and cause damage. And I just think, you know, as I study the Gospels and I listen to the words of Jesus, I just think he's called us to like a, a higher level of walk than that. Tim Stevens here on the intersection. The book website is markedbylove.com. We are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. You can also access the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more at faithradio.org. 
Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And there's The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You can also go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.